You're listening to an app session from the 2019 Art Conference in Anaheim, California. For more resources to equip you and your local church, visit arcchurches.com. As we get started, I realize a few of you got here early, so you can sit in the back of the side. But how about moving this way because the lunch thing is late? And, and then if you want to record it, I'll be able to talk uh, to those of you in front rather than uh, kind of spread out. Uh, I always tell people, uh, uh, right, you like, you like when people kind of move in yeah. and you don't have to do this thing. So if you want to do it at your church, it'd be a good thing to do when... Uh, I, I don't know. I just think that's kind of uh, uh, the, way to, the way to look at it. So uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to talk uh, in this session, and as, as people come in and stuff, I might circle back just for you to know on, on a few key things that uh, could be missed because of uh, uh, starting uh, or ending late with that last session. <coughs> but I want to talk about how to grow a church and uh, be a leader in the ministry and still have a life. Uh, we all know that ministry can be supposedly tough on your family, Right. Uh, and we know uh, there's kind of some stresses there and all that. But, but really, if ministry is killing you, it's not ministry's fault. It's your fault. I want to put that right out on the table at the very beginning. And in fact, whenever I run into somebody who tells me ministry is the hardest, one of those hardest jobs in the world, here's what I know immediately. They never had a real job. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. For absolutely real. You know? Like I went into so many, well, I learned in a Bible school, I learned in seminary, I learned self-care and all that, which, by the way, we're going to talk about is very important. Yeah. But there's almost a chip on our shoulder, like the devil's after us more than anybody else and all this kind of stuff is if we're most important. We do realize what the scriptures say about the body of Christ. The scriptures say that those who get the most honor are least important. You remember that? First Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, people say, man, what beautiful eyes you have. Like, oh, man, your hair or your complexion, you know, or, or whatever it would, would, would be. You know, great abs, buddy, or whatever. Uh, nobody says, man, you've got the coolest liver, you know. Yeah, your kidneys, they're amazing. And yet, what's most important uh, uh, by far? You see in the body of Christ when uh, uh, all the missionaries were kicked out of China. And then all the leaders were put in jail. And what did God do? He lit a wildfire. Okay. And uh, we need leaders. Uh, I am uh, uh, so honored to have spent so much of my life in vocational ministry. But the very starting point I want to get at as we talk about how, how to have a life is we get the chip off our shoulder. Yeah. Uh, and, and we understand because you will never minister well to your people when you think your job is harder than their job. Okay? You will not minister well. And they are the front lines and their job is really, really hard. Right. Uh, you know, one of the things uh, I, I, I remember catching one time after uh, one of our uh, uh, youth camps, uh, my son had uh, still to this day, uh, my kids are grown now, love Jesus, serve in the church for free. They, I'm the only one who has to be paid to be spiritual. Uh, so they're, they're out in the marketplace. And my son, in his commitment, uh, takes one of his uh, three weeks of vacation to go off on a whitewater trip with a whole bunch of youth. Uh, in our junior high department because he's just poured his life for year after year with these, into these kids. And he was just telling me the story, not upset or anything. He just thought it was funny. Uh, but I clocked it. Uh, and in my head, I said, man, that's so much what we do. But because he's been around, he's my son and all that. As they're all driving kind of at the end, it's almost like he's a staff member. And he's hanging with all the staff members. And the lead pastor in that area, who is phenomenal, I think he's one of the best junior high pastors in the entire country, this is just one little blind spot that he had. 
But he looked at his staff and he said, man, we have exhausted. I want to thank you for giving so much this next week. I want you to know you just don't need to come in on Monday. Standard stuff, right? Uh, standard stuff to go home at 3.30 or 4 because I've got a meeting tonight to rest up for it, prep for it, and come in the next morning a little bit late. But do you realize none of your volunteers are able to do that? Right? My son couldn't the next day go, hey, I was out with junior hires all week. Uh, pouring my life into them and so I'm gonna come in an hour late to work or I'm not showing up at Monday yeah okay so uh, I, again just I think you will minister to your flock so much better when you get this idea that your burden is harder than anybody else's burden the Lord, the Lord will never give you a burden harder than you can take just like he won't give anybody else one so with that foundation of this isn't the toughest job in the world. We have so much freedom, even in the areas we don't like. And, and yeah, there's a lot of crap out there. I get that. Ever since page three of my Bible, it all goes south. Is yours? <laughs> right? Well, there are weeds in every garden, and there are toilets you have to clean in every ministry. Uh, but, but, but focus on the upside of the privilege, because if you're in vocational ministry right now, okay, you're being paid. You realize you're being paid for what you used to do for free. Okay? I look around and I go, how can I ever complain about what I'm doing now? Because when I first came to Jesus towards the end of my high school years, I started teaching the Bible right away, some Bible studies and stuff like that. And, uh, and, and, and people started coming. The living room fills up. And, but here's the deal. I was taking a full load of college. I was working nearly full time uh, at, a, at a grocery store as a journeyman retail clerk. I had two nights free and I taught Bible studies. And then, here's, how, here was, here's my great master, you know, uh, Apostle Paul called into vocational ministry. I had a church call me and say, hey, we're looking for a youth pastor. And I, well, what do you mean? Whatever. And I found out, like, you will pay me to do that? Yeah. Like, you want me to teach Bible studies and have fun parties? Come on. Let me pray about that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to pull a Balaam and not even ask, you know. Uh, uh, and, and. I, like, I'm in vocational ministry for one simple reason. I found out I could make a living for what is my greatest joy and hobby. And yeah, when I get a little immersed in it, again, there's toilets to clean. But God forbid I ever forget that uh, how, I'm, I'm paying. Okay? So with that background, let's talk now about self-care, which I think in a sense should never be talked about until we have that other side of the coin first. But the truth is, some of us are born with a guilt gene. Uh, some of you guys out there, you got a father wound. Uh, there are all kinds of things out there that cause us to take a ministry where the Lord has says, I'm going to stretch you, and we let that ministry break us. Wow. And there is a big difference between the two. So here's some things that I've learned as patterns over the years that leave me at this point in my life that my greatest disappointment is I don't have another 40 years to be able to keep doing what I'm doing. You know, I, I don't think you want to end with the idea, oh, good, that finish line is there. Uh, I, I want to end wishing it was decades out. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, want to, I, I want to, if any of you ever ran distance, uh, you know that the people who are leading at the 100 and 200 markers are never the ones who win the race. No. Okay. So, number one thing to keep in mind is this. Create the church or ministry that you would want to go to. If you're a church planter, 
plant the church you would want to go to. If you've got a sub-ministry within a church, a youth ministry, make it the youth ministry that you would want to go to. And not as a selfish pig. Yeah, this is a general principle. There are exceptions. But if it's not the place you would want to go to, I'm going to tell you it's going to be work with a capital W. And what I find, especially when it comes to church planning, uh, uh, and uh, revitalization or any sort of leadership uh, pastoral role that way, too many of us start trying to plant and lead and grow the church that someone else is growing very fast. Uh, I, I remember when uh, the, uh, the seeker movement was kind of the cutting edge of uh, exegeting the culture and all that kind of stuff, and uh, people would go there uh, to Willow Creek uh, which was doing a great job in that region of understanding de-church people and how to reach them. I think sometimes we critique them very unfairly because we're critiquing them from another place and another time on the calendar. Because, uh, again, they weren't reaching unchurched as much as de-church and suddenly excellence and all these things they did. People knew the Bible story, so they didn't need a lot of Bible teaching, but they never had any application to it. Okay? And, and, but what would happen is people would go there and uh, they'd come back and they'd go, man, I'm going to become a a seeker church, a will of church, or whatever. And, and then I would ask a few questions. Sometimes they'd go, no, I wouldn't go there. Wow. Well, why? Well, because they saw the food court and the big crowd. And so they took notes and, and tried to, to, to become a, a poor imitation of a food court and a big crowd. Back to the body of Christ that I started on at the very beginning. <coughs> right? Uh, if, 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 if God made you a party animal, your church should feel like a youth group for adults. If God made you a, 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 a Greek nerd, your church won't be big. But here's what it will be. It'll be reaching people that the party animal church can't reach. Okay? And that's why one of the problems is, I call it gift projection. We all think that people, when they grow up, if they know what I know, experience what I experience, will be me. Right? Think about how we disciple. We give them the information we have, the experiences we have, they think they'll be me. And we do that in the body of Christ. That's part of the It's so sick when we criticize other churches. So what you get is you get an eye church that's going, that ear church over there, they can't see squat. Yeah. Well, of course not. They're not supposed to. And you, you catch in 1 Corinthians 12, I mean, Paul's ripping on people who don't understand the body. Well, there's a freedom in understanding the body because you're not necessarily supposed to grow a great church. You're supposed to grow the church God called you to grow. And, 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 and some of us are Walmart churches, and some of us are little niche hipster churches. But we can't reach everybody out there unless we support one another and... You know, that's what we usually talk about, supporting one another. But also, we've got to be ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? So when I tell, like, you know, and again, this is description, not prescription, this part of it here, this application. But I want to put some wheels on it. My wife and I have extended family that love to be together. Okay? So I'm just telling you, like, my story as a Christian. Uh, if you judge me, just don't tell me. <laughs> but uh, I'm one of those guys. I'm, like, so unspiritual. I don't want to go to church on holidays. Okay? The last thing I want to do the night before Thanksgiving is have a church service. You know, I want to help Nancy get the turkey ready. Uh, the last thing I want to do on Christmas Eve is go to church. Uh, I want to put a bicycle again. I know you're looking at me like he's going to hell. But that's okay. uh, 
I, I just, and part of it is, again, because Nancy and I have a large extended family, lives in the Southern California area. Anytime we can have a party, we have a party. My house is, you know, party central for that, you know. Oh, there's a Super Bowl. Let's get 60 kids over there. Easter, there were 19 kids under five years old running around my house, you know. And, and I just so love that, that gift in a rootless culture. So guess what? We had the suckiest Christmas Eve services in America. I haven't even been for about 12 years. <laughs> at 9 o'clock at night, uh, and now we finally grow, you know, I think most of you know our church is, you know, extremely large. Uh, but at 9 o'clock, at, or 8 o'clock, I think it was, and, and now we've added a second one at 6. It's out in the plaza at one of our main campus of all our local campuses. They have their own, the others. Uh, it's standing room only. Uh, we take out of all of our bands, which band loves those kind of events, yeah. Chris Brown, if any of you ever heard him, the other teaching pastor on our team is just a phenomenal communicator. And he and his family love that stuff. So great, Chris, you speak. We hire an outside firm instead of our tech people to bring in the rigging. And it's standing up the whole time of an hour. We, we sing a few Christmas songs. Uh, Chris does a little Devo thing. Uh, we do the little candle thing, pass it on, you know, and light up the whole thing. And everybody goes home. Well, a church like mine, we run about 13,000 on a weekend, so we ought to have 20,000 or more during the Christmas Eve thing, right? All those things. We get like five. Okay, but guess what? They all go to another church that weekend. And guess what they're next week? They're back. <laughs> right? And all these other churches are out there killing themselves to provide better holiday entertainment. And they get a bigger and bigger crowd every Christmas Eve. And they get a little January uh, bump. They think it's Christmas Eve, but we get the same bump without doing it. Now, I've got other friends. One of my friends thinks those kind of events are the greatest thing ever. And he's texting Chris Brown and I that they had 45,000 this year out. And I go, good. Because I'm not saying Christmas Eve is a bad thing. I am saying it's overrated, but uh, that's different. Uh, hey, in terms of like really reaching lots of people and all that that we think. Uh, but if, if, if it's working for you, producing great fruit, and it's within the framework of like, this is a good thing to do, but so many of us burn out on ministry because we do what everybody else is doing, even though we hate it, and, and we claim that we're led in the Spirit, but we don't really let the Spirit make us different than anybody else. Right? Uh, have, have, have any of you seen a realtor's business card? Help me out. What's on the front of all those stinking things? The person's picture. Why? It's like, you're in front of me. I know who you are. You know why there are pictures on every car? Because every other realtor has his picture or her picture on the car. Does a picture help? No, it only hurts. Right? You see some of the women sometimes all decked out and all this. They cause certain men to go, bimbo. She doesn't know anything. Like, what am I going to do here? You see a, a young guy all decked out there. It causes an older guy to go, oh, man, I want somebody with experience. You see an older guy up there, you get somebody young, it's like, well, that's a has-been. Man, I want somebody who understands the market. Where it is. Every single thing, every single picture only hurts. It does not gain them a client at all. But they all put it there because everybody else does. I want to say we do a lot of ministry things because every other church does it. Or because some big church with lots of people do it. And we hate that idea. Be the church you want to go. Uh, the length of our sermons, the style we teach, you know, everybody... Like, for instance, we're expositional. We walk through passages instead of topical. 
Uh, by the way, if you ever get criticized for being topical, here's the answer. Just tell those people who don't like it that you're doing systematic theology. Then mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all those brains on the stake will get off the case. Okay? But, but you know why we do it? It's not because Jesus loves that kind of Bible teaching better. It's because that's how I learn best. Yeah. It's, that's, why, that's the messages that God birthed in me. And sometimes I do a, like a preaching workshop, and I always teach people this. Don't listen to the preachers with the biggest crowd. Listen to the preachers that touch your heart. Those are two different things. And early on in my ministry, I listened to the, 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 the biggest known, biggest crowd preachers, and it wrecked me being me. And I went back to saying, well, it's really cool how God's using them. But this principle of embracing who you are and being a great version of you, whether it's big or small, will make the body of Christ, big C, bigger and the kingdom grow more powerfully than a whole bunch of us trying to be something we aren't and doing things we hate. Because there is enough burden in life. Uh, there, is a, there are enough toilets to clean. There are enough hard parts of ministry. And for me to add this next layer of I just don't like anything about what I'm doing. Does this make sense to you? There's such a freedom in that, okay? And, uh, you know, and, and by the way, you need to understand, yeah, I've got this big church now that I'm privileged to be one of the pastors of and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But we grew by one person during my first three years at North Coast Church. One person from the 70 that were there at my quote candidate Sunday. And uh, for a while, I went through some depression on that because I was in this growth pattern that I'm talking about until I sat back and said, maybe I'm not as gifted as I think just because I had these big youth ministries earlier on. Um, you know, maybe if my wife and I spent a, a lifetime in a place that might grow to two or three hundred. So I'm going to relax. and I'm just going to do the church I want to go to. And here's what's cool. It's still massive. And it's still the church I want to go to. And that's swallowed me up. But here's the other important thing. When it started to grow, I didn't know it was growing. A third person a year is not massive. The next year was 15. The next year was like 30. Okay? I had no idea what eventually it happened would take off. But I was one happy duck. Because I'd gotten rid of all those voices and things outside. Okay? Now, a second thing that I, I, I want to share with you that's very important is, and, and this is theologically so vital and just not taught enough because of the blind things in our culture. Learn to fulfill your calling, not your potential. God has a calling on your life. Our culture has a potential calling on our, your life. And those are two different things. What, what, what has happened is we bow the knee to two gods in our culture today. The sex god uh, and the potential god. And, and, and what happens is in Christian circles, in the English-speaking church, there's a little quirk of language that makes us all the more buy into our culture, which we do anyway, right? Uh, you know, we always think we're above culture, we're real biblical, like, not really. Uh, come on, we all see through the lens of our world. Uh, uh, I, re I remember when, when kind of the whole community service and missional movement kind of thing swept the church, which is a big deal. We average four service projects a day in our community. We're really big on that. But still, people acted like they got it out of the Bible. Well, the truth is, I can grab old Inc. magazines, uh, Business 2.0 magazines, and stuff like that. And starting about five years before the missional movement started, you would find Ben and Jerry's and all kinds of these socially conscious companies on the cover of all these magazines. 
Just like when the Seeker movement went all out for excellence, well, guess what? The number one selling book in the country then was In Search of Excellence. It was the era of conspicuous consumption. It was so what happens is our culture blinds us some spiritual truth and also causes us to see some things nobody had seen before. Does it you with me on that? So here's what happens with potential. There is a parable of the talents. Familiar with it? Well, you know what a biblical talent is? It's an amount of money. Every other language hears it as a parable of the money bags. We hear it as a parable of our gifts. Yeah. That's damnable. Because when we hear it as a parable of our gifts, we get the idea that we better maximize to the absolute potential our giftedness. And if we finish the race not having fulfilled our potential, maximize ten times, five times what the gifts we have, we're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to be ticked off. That is pure cultural garbage. Wow. It's why every parent in America has a kid get a home run in T-ball and goes, oh, D1 scholarship, get them in a club program. It's why they spend money they don't have to get to a private school that they can't handle or what. Because everything's the worst parent ever is a parent who today doesn't maximize potential. And the most broken life is a life that doesn't fulfill potential. In our culture, we even honor people who walk out of marriage as a commitment because it's the only way they can fulfill who they feel they are. Amen? And folks, we buy into some of that same garbage. Let me help you understand, there's only one kind of person who will fulfill their full potential as far as giftedness. That's a single Christian. An unmarried Christian. That's what the Apostle Paul, what is it, 1 Corinthians 7, I believe, right? He says, I want you to stay single because you can be fully devoted to Jesus. And then he says, but if you're going to burn, go ahead and marry. You're going to have a divided mind. And then catch this, he says, but you have not sinned. Now, I, when I came to Jesus, man, I was one of those 180 degree, on fire, if you breathe, I'm going to tell you about Jesus type of jerks for Jesus. I, I'm ready to go. Plus, I, you know, I was an athlete, a great one actually in my memory. But, uh, <laughs> so competitive and all that kind of stuff is, you know, just a part of it. And so I'm everything I can be. And then I realized I'm going to burn. And I got married to a wonderful woman. But the moment I married Nancy, I had a chip in my potential that was gone. I'm an aggressive, go-for-it type person. Like off and off, it's in their track, right? And in great marriage, they just draw closer and closer. In a bad marriage, they attract and they attack, but that's another issue. Uh, But Nancy's gifts are background. What James calls true religion, widows and orphans and caring for people, she thinks her IQ drops by 30 points when you put a microphone in her hand. It only drops by 20, but it drops significantly. <laughs> She's never led a Bible study. She's never wanted to do any of those kind of roles. She just loves on hurting people, cares for people, magnetically draws them to her and eventually to Jesus. She doesn't, she's an accountant. She doesn't want to think on her feet. So her witnessing is, well, you want to come to church for me, with me? I'll pray for you. You know, don't, don't get her to discuss the theology there because she'll feel like she freezes. And now I marry that woman as an aggressive, want to plant a church, want to take over the world kind of person. And here's what God said. Your calling is to maximize your wife, not to reach your potential. Does that know what scripture says? 
As Jesus has said for us, my number one calling is to pre- present Nancy Osborne in the fullness and beauty of who God has made her to be. Not some pastor wife image. And in the glory of our marriage reflecting Jesus Christ, the world is able to see God's love for us. But it means I can't do some things. Well, then we have a child. Another chip on what I can do. Then we had a second child, another chip. Then we had a mistake by the lake, still another one. (laughs) And now I've got four things against my potential. Instead of being able to move from platform to platform to platform, Nancy and I knew as we prayed about it, and to honor her as who she was, that we were probably called to spend a lifetime in one community and see what happens. You never know. The Apostle Paul thought he was supposed to go to Bithynia. Asia Minor ends up in Macedonia. But there is this sense, and at this age, I think we got it right. Spend our life in the community. But I want to tell you, that wasn't shaped by me and my potential. That was shaped by the woman I married, and how do I make her all she can be? And then I'm writing, uh, I have some gifts of writing, so I've, I've written some books. I'm writing my third book, and my oldest son is seven. And again, this is description, not prescription for your life. It's to understand the principle. But I'm writing my third book, and Nathan is seven, and he tells my wife, I don't like it when Dad writes, he doesn't play with me. Now, that's not true, but in a seven-year-old's mind, it's true. Because for about two or three weeks, I'm all, you know, getting the final part of it. So I can that book. And that night, Nancy and I decided I'm not writing another book until all of our kids are in college. That meant I took an incredible gift I have. I've written, you know, ten books and sold them well. Uh, They opened the door to kingdom ministry. You know, I probably wouldn't be here or known or what. And I had to go totally off the grid. We're growing one of the larger churches nobody knows anything about. And uh, just trying to be a really good dad. And a really good pastor. Because that's my call. Not a couple thousand more people. Not more books. I lost 13 to 15 years of runway. I would be 13 to 15 years younger with every book I've written, written. With every kingdom influence I have. And I have that much more runway. But I'm not sure I have three kids who love Jesus. Right? Because my calling, my goal, and my calling was to go towards this goal, was to raise kids who would love Jesus. Raise kids who would love the local church, not our church, because the likelihood is they would move. And raise kids who thought dad being a pastor was the greatest job in the world, not the worst job in the world. And I'm going to die 13 years too early for reaching our potential. And North Coast on the Outreach 100 list is thousands less than it could be. But Jesus is going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, because your calling is not your potential. Yeah. Very good. Your potential is a harsh and evil mistress. Mm-hmm. That's good. Your calling, Jesus says, come unto me if you're weary and heavy laden, and my burden is light. My steering guide, my yoke, is easy. Yeah, there's hardships, and there are burdens, but why do we put extra ones on that he didn't put on? Because yeah. when he puts it on, he gives me the supernatural power to deal with it. When I let culture put it on, expectations put it on, father wounds put it on, whatever sort of thing, when, I, when those are put on, I don't get the grace to bear those because he never gave me those. It's so freeing. 
to realize you have a calling in a culture that tries to live up to potential. Any of you sports fans out here, right? You know the worst thing that can ever happen to a rookie is to be labeled as the next fill in the blank, right? Because instead of being, my gosh, I'm one in a million, how amazing is this, that I actually made it to the NBA and I'm sitting at the end of the bench and I'm being paid or whatever, the guy's just going, I'm a loser because I was a first round draft pick who never started. He's not a loser. He just got saddled with a potential trap. So don't let it happen in ministry uh, to you as well. Uh, a third thing would be focus on the flock that you have. Not the sheep you hope to shepherd someday. That's good. One of the big mistakes I made in the early days of North Coast Church, and it was amplified because I'd had two youth ministries, both of which had grown kind of to be the largest in the history of those churches. So I thought I just touched stuff and turned to gold. <laughs> and I had a Midas touch, but suddenly my Midas touch was producing mufflers instead of gold. <laughs> and as we weren't growing and all this was happening, part of it was um, I had to step back and realize some things. And one of the things I had to realize is I didn't love the people I had. First Peter 5 says, shepherd the flock among you. Right? Shepherd the flock among you. What did I do? I used them as tools to help me with my mission. See, I love, you, uh, give me your name. Pat. Pat. So I'm in, Pat right now is hardcore lost. I'm loving our hardcore lost. And everybody pats me on the back. Okay, your name? Leah. Leah. And Leah here now, she gets saved. And uh, she runs to the front of the line. She's just so on fire. I love Leah. Your name? TJ. TJ over here. Now, he's this guy. He gets saved and just saunters along. Four steps forward, five steps back. And I actually start to sing him. Isn't it weird? We love the lost. We love the baby Christian who still swears in their prayer. How cute that is. <laughs> we love the on fire, but the lukewarm struggling we hate with the same. And, in fact, some of us even like to preach. Church of Laodicea. Oh, you know, this spew you out of the mouth. I want you to know the Greek word there is vomit. And God hates your guts. And I'm so honored to be able to tell you that. Right? That's almost a mindset, right? I encourage you to read that passage in Revelation instead of think back to the old sermons you heard. That's not what it says. It's a letter to the church in which Jesus is not saying, I hate your guts. He's pleading with them to come to him. He hasn't said, I've spewed you out. You make me vomit. He says, I will spew you out. But right now, I plead with you to buy from me gold, silver. And it ends with one of the most famous evangelistic passages. Behold, I stand at the door and I keep knocking and I'm going to keep knocking. And if you will open it up, I don't care how lukewarm your speaking heart is, I'm going to come and I'm going to suck with you. And if you and I start disdaining our struggling Christians and sheep, why will God send us any more? I used the people I had to reach the people I wanted to reach. And no, long, no, no surprise, God didn't send them. And they didn't bring them. Hey, why don't you come to North Coast Church? Larry will use you. Okay. Now, now, hear me on this. I'm not talking about putting up with sin. 
even at our size today, we still practice 1 Corinthians chapter 5, sin list of high-handed sin, but that's different than struggling with sin. That's, I, I'm making excuses for it. I'm setting up camp here. It's like, dude, we got a problem. But to be angry at the struggling sheep is to bring judgment on yourself. Because did not Jesus say, the measure you use to judge others is the measure I'm going to use to judge you. And how many of us have a testimony, and part of our testimony is we knew the truth but ignored the truth. And the grace of God continued to pursue us. That's your job. Take care of the flock you have. And don't use them dreaming of ministering to the flock you'd like to reach someday. Here's the fourth one. Don't live like a pastor. Live like a mature Christian. Don't let people put on you extra rules because you're a pastor that you wouldn't have if you were a plumber. And don't you talk about your role being so special and different that you have extra rules a plumber doesn't have. Because if you do, you're emasculating the priesthood of believers and you were a church for Sunday, not a church for Monday. Okay? You're just like killing yourself. Um, you know, there are all kinds of lifestyle issues. And again, description, not prescription. My, my story is not your story. You've got to listen to the Holy Spirit and let Him tell you, no, I should be writing a bunch of books. Man, we should have the biggest... Christmas Eve thing or whatever. But in lifestyle issues, you know one of the things that I uh, broke my heart early on in ministry was to see how many people kind of live one life in town and a different life on vacation. Certain things, well, I, I'm not going to do this here in town, but when I'm on vacation, it's okay. And I'm going, dude, it's either okay or it ain't okay. And Romans 14 would say it might be okay for you and not okay for you, okay? So I don't always want to put my little kind of things on, 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 on people. But I want to run it through the grid of if I'm a Christian plumber, not somehow I'm a Christian pastor. Because that burden will kill your spouse, will kill your kids, and will kill you. Because it'll make you a hypocrite. You see, sometimes what we think, some of my friends who kind of have two sets of different standards... Uh, some of my friends think <coughs> that what they're doing is living a life of discretion. And here's what I'm telling them. Yeah, I understand it, but your kids are seeing it as a life, as a life of hypocrisy. Yeah. Yeah. So if at the kitchen table, I'm ripping on somebody, and at their farewell, it's, you know, oh, Jesus is leaving. They don't see that as discretion. They see that as two-faced. If I eat, drink, or go somewhere on vacation, but wouldn't let it happen at home, the kids don't say, oh, dad's really wise. He understands the environment. They say he's a hypocrite. Yeah. And you can go both ways. You can add all kinds of, of rules. Romans 15 allows us to have all kinds of legalism on our life. Or you can go the other way with those things. You're going to have to figure out the spirit. Most of us are going to be a weird combination. But there were certain things that Nancy and I decided, no, uh, we felt freedom to do, and we're going to do them in town. If some people see us do this or whatever it would be, and they leave the church, great. There's plenty of other good churches in town, but I'm not always having to look at my calendar to figure out where I am. I'm the same guy, whatever. And I, you lose people, great, because I want I wanted to see my kids love Jesus. And I didn't want this job to let every little small-minded person caused me to say, well, there is freedom in Christ, but we don't get to experience it. Wow. 
right? Because that's the other thing. Sometimes as pastors, we go, well, I know there's freedom in Christ, but as a pastor, you can't. Did you send a message? Let me give you an example of how careful you want to be with that. And what I, my congregation has never heard this and never will because they'd hear from my role, like, oh, that's what spiritual people do. So I have some areas of freedom, probably some of you go, whoa, that surprised me. But one of the things is, uh, I don't watch any TV. Why? I want to redeem the time. I find it's a waste of time. I find it in any sitcoms, mysteries, whatever. There's so much sexual innuendo that's just a part of the culture. We don't even notice it anymore. I can accomplish all kinds of things when I do that. So I don't watch TV at all. I'm a sports fan. Uh, once in a while, I did watch the Super Bowl this year. I will take games of my favorite team, and if they win, I watch it, so they're undefeated. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I mean, I might watch uh, my favorite football team three full games in a year. So when I say no TV, it's never... But here's the thing. My wife relaxes by watching TV. I don't... None of my kids ever had Larry's... Romans 14, 15 rule put on them. And, and I don't want my congregation to hear that rule because I want to live like I would as a plumber. And I believe if I was a Christian plumber, I'd also say TV's a waste of time. Yeah. But if I start taking what's a waste of time in my life and saying it's a waste of time in your life, I've just become a Pharisee. Yeah. I have zero right to do that. Right. God whispered in my ear, Larry, this is for you. Okay? Live like you would as a Christian plumber. And you will be a better pastor. Let me give you just one more. We're going to run out of time because I especially love to have time for maybe pushback or a question or two. But uh, uh, another one would be do your best, then take a nap. <laughs> Do your best and take a nap. And now, I like to do it this way. I'm actually uh, going to have you change it. Because it's literally not do your best. Because like potential, that can be like, when have you ever done your best? The real term is this. Do your best under the circumstances. And then take a nap. We are not as important as we think we are. The kingdom of God is going to go on. You know, have you noticed every millennial you want to hire wants a world-changing job, right? And then older people look at them and go, all oh, those millennials. You ever been around baby boomers? What are they all talking about? Leaving a legacy. Yeah. It's just the flip side. It's the old version of a world-changing job. It's like, we're both idiots. <laughs> the Bible actually says we're a mist here today and gone tomorrow. Yeah. I ain't leaving no legacy. <clears throat> you know? Nobody knows their great-great-grandpa's name unless he was famous or infamous. You can name a building after me and like, so what? We call buildings, you know, hey, the, this hall or whatever. And it's like, ooh, like, no, it's just a sticking building. There's so much freedom in that. I'm called to prepare the horse for battle, do the best I can, and then that comes up to him. You know? Uh, there could be sin in a camp and like Joshua... AI could be a total disaster. Or he could just want to pour out his glory and with a crooked stake draw a straight line and Samson rules for 18 years. I don't know. My job is the best I can, again, under the circumstances. So back to calling. My calling was to be out in my community and be involved in my kids' lives. So we, as our church began to grow, there was a period of time before video videos. Thank you, Jesus, for those suckers. Um, we had to have two Saturday night services and the Sunday and everything. 
And uh, I'm trying to be a little league coach and a basketball coach for my kids. And, and that was one of the best evangelistic periods of our lives because you're out there rubbing shoulders with all these folks. And I would tell you, I preach some pretty sucky Saturday night messages. Because I was out in the sun too long or yelling at the kid in my field into chasing butterflies. Been there? And I had too many friends who'd lay awake all night. I'd sleep like a baby because I know that stunk. Okay, I need to change this, this, and this. And I'd go to sleep because Jesus wasn't mad at me. I had done the best I could under the circumstances. And this probably won't go in our archive. <laughs> but the kingdom of God's going to move on, and it did. I mean, all kinds of great things happened with really stinky sermons. Okay? I don't want to stand before God and say I was goofing around playing again for me in my little world that part of the TV thing and certain disciplines I have were about that but I'm just not going to work myself to the bone except for when God calls you to because there are certain crisis and opportunity situations to use a sports analogy they're like the playoffs and you play hurt in the playoffs but if you play hurt the regular season you ain't getting into the playoffs and when you get there you ain't winning okay and so I've just learned to not take myself so seriously. One, again, final description, not prescription, just to stir the pot. I don't put anybody else. But when I was in my early 30s, I read some research on sleep, like they're doing again right now. And uh, it just made total sense to me. So I made this decision. And this was an era where everybody bragged about how many hours they worked, you know, having to set three alarm clocks so you couldn't hit snooze, you had to get out of bed, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I said, I'm not going to use an alarm clock. Now I set one if I got to get up at 4 a.m. So I haven't used an alarm clock for decades. I don't have any meetings till 9 a.m. Nothing. Why? I don't know if I'm going to wake up at 5:30 full of energy and feel like working or something, or my body needs to sleep till 7, 7:30. And what I'm not going to do is let everybody else run my life to the point that I'm constantly tired, I'm constantly grouchy, I'm constantly whatever. And yeah, there's a whole bunch of people who wanted to meet me for breakfast. But it's really weird. When they go to meet their dentist, they change their schedule for it. And I'm not going to be out every night. And I'm not going to get up early every single morning. I'm going to have Larry time built in to that margin. Like I said, it can be hours in the morning or like, you know, an hour. And that's why I'm the age I am right now, loving life and ministry like I love it right now. Because I didn't let it kill me. Vocational ministry is the coolest privilege ever, like we started with. You're being paid for what you used to do for free, and you're in a dream job. Yeah, you thought the grass was greener and found it's made concrete. I get it. There's hardships in a fallen world. But, uh, and ministry? My, my son and his wife were telling me the other day that because of the size of our church, it happens a lot, but they'll run into people who grew up as pastor's kids. And whenever they do, they'll like take them out to dinner or lunch or get to meet them. And he said, it's so sad, Dad, about 80% of the time they're digging for the dirt. And he goes, I, I, I keep telling him, it, it's so boring. I just felt like my dad was my dad. And I never felt like being in ministry made me a different kid than I hadn't been. And again, I think that's why I got three who love Jesus. who served me for free. And uh, that's our calling. So, thanks. God bless.
let me take a couple of minutes for any questions or whatever that I might answer. We've got to stay, there's another breakout coming really quick, so, and I want to be faithful in just a couple of minutes, anybody can leave, uh, but yeah. yeah. Um, what's some things that you've learned along the way to help you like differentiate between like this is my calling or this is just my What have I learned to help me differentiate between my calling and opportunity? First of all, opportunity, uh, uh, temptation comes disguised as opportunity, okay? So you always got to step back and say, is this really an opportunity from God? Second thing that traps us is uh, we often know the will of God, but not the timing of God. So we end up like Moses, jumping forward with God's calling 40 years too early. He didn't need 40 years of training in the wilderness. He spent 40 years of training in the wilderness because he killed an Egyptian 40 years before God told him to step forward and lead the people. Uh, and so that's always been a big thing for me to understand the difference. That if, if the doors are closing or I'm having to push too hard, it might be because I know the will of God but not the timing of God. Uh, and then the second thing is just listening closely to my wife and my kids. When we talk about family first as a cliche instead of a reality, we end up in trouble. And so my seven-year-old son was God's voice to me. Again, I told you, description, not preaching. It wasn't his voice to anybody else. But I need to look in the mirror and not always push him off and go, well, you don't really know. Or Nancy, that thing you're feeling in your spirit of, oh, no, you just... We, we get this, you know, anointed man, anointed woman type of thing where we don't listen to those who are closest to us. And uh, that's been a great help to me, to let the voice of those who are closest to me tell me reality. Um, and, yeah, that, that'd be my, my quick answer. Anything else? Yeah, in the back. I'll, I'll repeat the question. Or, okay. Hey, thanks so much for that. I just want to know, you said there's some big things you put aside, like writing books, to make sure you spend time with kids. Are there, are there little things as well, units of data, which are non-negotiables, well, my wife is not very... Okay, uh, for the recording here, the question was other things I set aside besides writing books. That was a huge one. Uh, 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 overseas travel was, again, this is my thing, not your thing. But uh, I remember uh, I came back from a couple weeks in India, uh, pre-9-11. My uh, young son hugged my neck from the moment I got off the plane until we got in the car. And I realized that what seemed to me to be a long trip for missions was a lifetime for this young little three-year-old. Uh, and so that night we decided I'm not going overseas to do ministry uh, um, at all. First time I've done it since then was this year. I spoke at a huge church planning conference, a couple thousand church planners in Brazil where God's just rising up some work. And I felt the Lord saying, go. Uh, and I have lots of friends ago, but if I was going to be a pastor, be a dad, write some books, I'm very available to American pastors. That's kind of one of my niches in all kinds of tribes. Well, I can't take the week of prep to go to Africa, the 10 days there, and the week afterward. I just lost a month. So you'll always have to triage. Now, your triage means, why am I writing a book? Because everybody wants to write a book. They don't realize nobody reads them. Uh, okay. Why are we on another certain, you know what I'm saying, but I, I tended to just walk through and try to triage things that way and say what fits my family best, what fits the God birth passions best. I really believe Jesus wasn't kidding about the Holy Spirit, and we always focus on the power of the Spirit, not the inward voice of the Spirit. Okay, and, and so, you know, if I don't want to do something, I go, Lord, you can change how I feel. That's a work of your spirit. I'm not going to fight you, but I'm not also going to assume everything I feel is of the flesh. Um, 
So those, those were a few of them. You know, one, one of them is I accomplished a lot of different things just on side because by nature, I'm eclectic and renaissance -y. So I like these things, certain things are not work. You know, I do some side hustles and things like that. They're fun for me. Uh, where somebody else, they'd rather play golf or whatever. You find what fuels you and uh, what helps your family do it. I'll take one more and then to be faithful to time will end. Yeah? Did you find it kind of helpful in some of the church people who were used to having their pastor their beck and call that you wouldn't do that to kind of help them? The people who were used to pastor at beck and call, uh, how did I help them understand that I wasn't going to be there? I'm not the flowers at the wedding. You know, because they'll want you to be at everything. Just like when my daughter got married, we had a florist we wanted. We tried to get that florist. They were booked. We tried to negotiate how to get them to do it anyway. We walked out. They probably thought we, you know, they just wrecked our wedding. No, we just got another florist. So a lot of times people want you there because they care, but they act like life will fall apart if you're not there, right? Uh, and uh, I just found, really, actually most people, I would joke and say, I know you want to meet at night and stuff, but I want to ask you to change your schedule because everybody wants to meet me on their off hours and you'll have a divorced pastor. And they laugh and go, okay. And once in a while, yeah, I can't say we never lost a family or two, but who cares if you lose a selfish dick? <laughs> I mean, okay. these, these were not broken people. These were selfish pigs. And at that point, it's like, well, okay, we're two notches lower and now reach 100. Okay, hey, great, great We hope you enjoyed this session from the Art Conference. Our heart is that you are more encouraged and excited about your calling than ever before. For dates and locations and to register for an upcoming Art Conference, visit artconference.com.